episode 29. Are you going to do your intro? Um, are you dispensed with doing the intro? I think I've dispensed. That's too bad. I liked them. You did? Yeah. Thought that brought some energy to the whole, to the podcast. Episode 29, coming to you live from, I don't know, where the hell it is you live? Where do you live? Um, it called? Silver Lake. Silver Lake, that's right. Okay, I'll do it. Go ahead. Welcome to, ep- <laughs> Welcome to episode 29 of TechSing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. All righty. I like that. Very nice. All right, so um, you know one thing I noticed is we, we're getting more comments these days on the uh, on the blog. That's good. I like that very like much. So fourteen or fifteen or something like that. Usually it was like three to five or maybe eight at the most. So I guess that means people are uh, a little more engaged or liking it more, or, or, or rather, maybe they're they're more regular listeners as opposed to just like uh, you know people who just fly by and watch listen to one episode and are gone because. They were just listening for one single topic. Yeah, I think so. I think people are beginning to listen to the story, me gradually developing Tweet Miner and you never doing anything with your secret project. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think they're trying to determine if we're ever going to get any better doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> one guy says, yeah, you guys ramble a bit, but it's, uh, it's not too bad, I guess. Well, I was like, thinking yeah. of buying you an egg timer that basically gives you a 30-second uh, limit. And every time you start speaking, you've got to turn the egg timer on. Or not, not an egg timer, a, a sa- you know, like a sand timer. Right. That would be kind of distracting, though, I think. I think so, too. And, you know, you're not that bad. Even though sometimes you do ramble, it's always, <laughs> it's always a salient point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been accused of... Um, who was it he said? I, they said, yeah, yes, Jason, what time it is, and they'll tell you how to build a clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So what's the latest? Let's, I guess let's start with the... Um, the tweet miner update what are we looking at well i've been working on building um auto friend adding functionality basically mm-hmm. background scripts that help build your followers uh, right. i haven't got it released um because i've got i'm still so backlogged from uh, christmas from basically spending time with my family having my sister over and just still catching up on client work really so that's the that's right. the main issue there um, yeah, well, it's real, real life it impinges sometimes on the uh, these side projects. In terms of um, numbers, they don't seem to be going brilliantly. Um, it's uh, it's looking like it's going to come in at, at its sort of that this will be January will be the first dip month where it basically is lower than a month before. You'll th- make less money than you make the money uh, the month before. Month before, yeah, yeah, because I made um, so. October three hundred and fifteen dollars. Um, you can't really count that month because it was only a fraction of a month, and plus also it was the, it was really the launch. Then November a thousand a hundred. Then December a thousand a hundred and five. And right. now we are what is it nineteen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on the nineteenth, I've made five hundred and forty. Well, I guess in in some sense, like you said, you haven't been putting much effort into it. So yeah, exactly. So I haven't been putting much effort. I haven't been uh, communicating with customers. I haven't been helping to build the buzz. And just because I've just been really having to do my other client work to bring cash in, you know. Right. Yeah, I guess it's a little early to rest on your laurels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> no, but well, I mean... <laughs> if it live for six weeks, I'm just going to sit back now and chill. <laughs> I have a feeling that's not going to work out so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I say, I have been building this auto friend adding functionality, but it's just it's 
I, I thought it was going to be really easy, but it's slightly more complicated than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So, so do you work in fits and spurts? I mean, is it the kind of thing where you don't do anything for like a week or two weeks and then you just crank on it for three or four days? I mean, it sounds like you kind of do that. I do is, do that, yeah, because basically what I'll do is I'll catch up in a really good way with my clients and then I will have some spare time and maybe I'll spend half a day on it here, half a day on it there. Mm-hmm. And obviously weekends is always a good one if you can spend some time on that time on the weekends so it sounds like some of the like the customer support customer development stuff might have to be more done more regularly do you you think that's right i mean is it hard to batch because you're kind of like batch processing right well the the one thing is is i mean what what i i guess i should have mentioned transactions because if you go november december january with the transactions it's basically it had 56 transactions in december and it's had 39 transactions so far so it's like I think transactions is an important aspect to the tracking as well because I think it's just like fluky on some months some people come along and spend 200 buck <laughs> in with one but, transaction yeah. yeah with one transaction so yeah uh, the reason why I'm uh, sorry the reason the reason why I've got gone sidetracked is because you said um, how much time are you spending networking and right. so we're assuming that because I'm not spending time networking that it's not growing and it's not going anywhere but maybe it is going somewhere. <laughs> well, I didn't transaction- mean networking. I just meant, you know, uh, working, m- making sure that it's a positive experience for your customers. Because it seems like it, at times you're really aggressively doing it, and then seeing at times maybe I was just wondering if you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not. that's true. Like for example, putting up the video, the video stuff. Yeah. The video help yeah, system. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, have to, I have to say. Oh, go on. Uh, well, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, basically, you know what happens? It's like squeaky wheels. Like when I yeah. get a lot of a lot of the same comment, then I basically attack it and get on top yeah. of it. But right now, just no one seems to be giving very much feedback. Like they all want the same things, which is auto friend adding ability to import feeds from uh, OPML files. Right. So it's almost like I've got to do that. Yeah, that's that's one thing I say that that's um, helpful with uh me working with Guyon on the secret project, right? Is that you know if 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 it wasn't for Guyon calling me up and saying, okay, hey, I'm ready to work, let's do something. I mean, I could easily fall into a situation where I rationalize that I don't have time to work on it for a week or two at a time. Yeah, we could very easily fall into that. Um, so uh, that's what I, that's one, that's one benefit to have working with another person, which is kind of interesting. There was a, um, there was a blog post that I read. It was, it was called will single founders, please stand up. It was a, it, 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 I think it was got pretty high up on hacker news earlier, like towards the end of last week or something. And basically the guy was saying, Hey, you know, he, he wasn't convinced that it was so important that there'd be more than one founder. Yeah. He, thinks, he, he was saying, yeah, it's, 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 it's more rare that, that you have people who can be successful single founders as opposed to co-founders because all of the attributes that you have to have or most of the attributes that you have to have as a co-founder, you have to have in spades as a single founder, which is sort of that resilience and self-confidence and ability to do a lot of different things or whatever. You know, when you have another person, sometimes it's, you, you can lean on them for other things that you might be lacking or at least for just consistency and, you know, moral support or whatever. And... It's interesting. I, I agree with him. I think there's probably more single founders than than people might imagine because it's easier for people to get going by themselves and to try and find someone to work work with. You just yeah, yeah. I mean, regarding what you were saying about Guyon and spending more time on it because of him, 
that's a really really good point and that definitely would make a difference to me in fact um tommy trc the the sort of my main affiliate I guess since Christmas, he's stopped bugging me so much about new features, and that's probably part of the reason why I've slowed down on it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's sort of like your he's sort of like your proxy co-founder. I guess, yeah, like like in, just in the sense of uh, bugging me about making changes and making it better for users. And he's like an aggressive client, you know. Yeah. Right, when's this going to be done? You're like, all right, all right, all right, you get on it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because. One thing, I, other thing is that the fact that you started TweetMiner by yourself, it was easier for you to get going because you didn't have to convince somebody else to do it with you. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of like, uh, you know, co-founders is kind of like workout partners. Like, say, hey, I'm going to start working out. Yeah, let's work out together. Let's, let's start, I want to start running. Let's run together, right? Well, if the other person you're doing it with isn't as committed or more committed than you, it's going to work against you because as soon as they're like, you call and say, hey, let's, let's go to the gym or right, let's go run. They're like, ah, oh, you know, I got this other thing or I, I you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling, <laughs> I'm not feeling That's going to bring you it, down. It's going to kill you. And, and, um, you know, I, I, work out and go to the gym and do that stuff pretty regularly. So I've, I've, I, and I talk to people all the time when it's like, Oh, I want to start working out and you know, I'm going to get a workout partner. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I wouldn't, unless, unless you're, unless this person you're going to do it is like a personal trainer or something, yeah. you know, it's like your friend who you're really good friends with and they've been going to the gym for years and they're, and they're actually willing to work out with you regularly than do it with them. But don't get, don't team up with somebody else who hasn't been working out or hasn't been running or whatever it is that you want to do, because they're going to, it's almost like it's the first one to bail is going to kill the whole thing. But it's horses for courses. I mean, if I was looking for a workout partner, I'd find someone who'd only want to go about once a month. Same as me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so that's, I, I think it's probably similar to doing a startup. You know, if you get somebody and you both get all fired up about it, maybe get, you sit there and talk about some ideas or sit around a weekend and you, get, and you spend a couple weekends getting going on it. And as soon as they start getting distracted by, you know, day-to-day -day life, well, then if you it, might be like, well, I can't, I can't work on it because, you know, so-and-so, they're, they're doing this other thing. And I suppose yeah. one thing we should talk about, like, I mean, given this, the direction of this is, TweetMiner kind of feels stagnant for me right now. Like, even though I know that I'm sort of developing this thing in the background, it definitely feels stagnant. Like, like as if it's, I don't know, there was, so there was sort of more excitement about it during its first two months. <laughs> and well, I know, that's you. I mean, that's, that's, that's all you. I mean, it's, it's all my perception, it's, isn't it, really? It's all, I, I think, probably 90% of it is a reflection of your mental state. And what you want to do, it's like this. It's like the community is you sort think, of you think the customers. You. you think the customers feel that as well? I think they probably key off of you, and you key off of them, right? So it's like a it's a feedback loop. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. Well, you know, they're not giving me any feedback. Well, if you're not talking with them and communicating with them and adding new features, then they're gonna just they're not gonna see much activity, and they might not have much to say or complain about or ask for. In which case, you stop doing stuff, and it just kind of dies. Um, <clears throat> Maybe they're all just waiting for the auto friend yeah. thing, and and once that's put in, then they'll be bugging me about other stuff again. Here, I'll give you a, I'll give you an interesting example. This is something I, I'd meant to br bring up a couple of times. I thought was kind of, it's kind of interesting. So one of the things that I've do I'm a, I, I I play soccer and I've been um, I played soccer in college and I played and I and about ten years ago I started a men's what we loosely term a semi professional team. Right. right? So all the guys have either were either really top notch scholarship 
college players or and a good percentage of them actually played professional professionally for a while or okay. are still trying to play professional or play with us in the off season. So it's a very high level and it's something I've been doing for 10 years. And um, we've gone through peaks and valleys where at different times we've reached real heights where we were one of the best teams in the country. We scrimmage an MLS professional team down at their stadium. I mean, we've, we've once, you know, or we were runner up one year into state California. What does state that champ. mean? Scrimmage? Scrimmage is like a, um, a, it doesn't count for anything, right? So let's imagine that you have a men's team and the LA Lakers say, hey, you want to come down and scrimmage and play against us? I mean, it doesn't count. Okay, so you play against a, a very professional team. How well do you do when you, your team went against the... Well, we only did that once. I mean, that was a one-off thing. I mean, you know, we got beaten pretty pretty good, but we scored a couple goals. And, right. um, you know, it was impressive that we're playing against this professional team. These guys play every day, all day. They're top-notch, and we actually ran with them, you know, and play with them. So anyway, the, the point is, is that... You know, it's a high-level team, and we've done a lot of really cool stuff. We played all over the, you know, the California, and and you know, done all kind of great stuff. But what happens is the ten over this ten-year period that I've done this thing, it's a lot of work, and there are periods of time where I'm really into it, and I'm putting a lot of energy into it, and I'm recruiting guys, and I'm, you know, like, oh hey, you know, I'm signing us up for tournaments, and we're going to like San Diego or San Francisco or Las Vegas to play in some big tournament, or we're setting up, like I said, playing against like some scrimmage professional team, or, or just do I'm organizing, right? I'm really pushing. Yeah. And and the guys on the team key off of my energy and my enthusiasm. Right. So if I say, hey, you know, I've recruited these three new guys who are really this, you know, they're really good. By the way, we're, we're going to this tournament. Who's in? Who's out? And I get all fired up. But if I'm just not really doing much and I'm like, we're, we're it's regular league play. And I'm like, OK, we've got a game on Wednesday. Who's in? You know, and I, and I kind of go on cruise control for a couple months. It's amazing how quickly we start. Our quality starts to drop. It just and sort I sort of getting, like chaos theory. Like the less that you put into it and, and organize, the more it essentially disperses. <laughs> that's right. I mean, you it, the energy in the system dissipates, so you have to pump in the energy. And I, it's like I can't wait for the guys in the team to get fired up. They, I mean, at times they'll get excited, or guys will email me and say, "Hey, you know, when's our game? When's the next game coming up?" Or I got some new guy I want to bring on the team. But generally speaking, if I'm not sending out a lot of emails and organizing stuff and recruiting guys, it just it, it's, we start dropping quickly. And like the year after we won the league championship, the next year I said, "All right, well, I got a lot going on. I'm going to put this thing kind of on cruise control because we got a lot of great players, and I don't really have to do much." Well, you know, a couple guys move away, a couple guys their job situations change. You know, maybe a guy gets married or has a kid or whatever and all of a sudden we're, we're missing a lot of players we used to have and we start losing games and i'm and, and i'm starting to get kind of frustrated because we don't have enough players or we don't have the quality of players that we had right hmm. so every time that i put it on cruise control it's like there's no such thing as staying in place you're either moving forward or you're moving back backwards yeah yeah <laughs> and usually we're moving backwards it doesn't take long and you start moving backwards real fast and um, it's, 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 it kind of sucks. It kind of, there was a saying too that my track coach used to say in college, he used to say, it takes six months to get in shape and two weeks to get out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> it is about right. I mean, it, six months of hard work to really get, to start to peak, but two weeks you go sit in your butt for Christmas break and you're done. It's like, but would you say that would be true of a company like Google? Like if, if they just decided, okay, we're going to just go on cruise control now. Would you say that they would then, within a couple of months, lose their dominance? 
No, obviously, I don't have any experience <laughs> with running a big company. And I think, right. I think the bigger you are and the more momentum and inertia you have, the more you can kind of rest on your laurels and, and sort of milk it. But when you're at a, a startup situation or you're like, you know, like me running a soccer team or running some small organization where there's one, pri- one or a handful of primary people, as soon as those people seem to back off on putting the energy in, everyone else just sort of takes their lead, follows their lead. And so recently, you know, I, this year, particularly, I just, the fall, I, I was sort of decided, I was kind of on the fence of whether I wanted to run the soccer team again. You know, I was just like, God, you know, it's such a pain in the ass. It's so much work. And I finally said, all right, I'll do it. Because I, I, so many guys seemed excited about it coming in after taking a, the summer off. And, um, and, and then we were just, things weren't going really. We were losing some games and I was having a hard time getting guys to the, to the, to the games. And, um, and I was like, this just sucks. And I was actually gonna, you know, and I actually called the guy who runs a league and I said, you know, I'm thinking about just pulling out. I think we may be done. Right. Yeah. And a lot of guys really bummed them out because they, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're guys who might've played professionally and were, you know, that, soccer has there been their life and now maybe they coach full time or they have a full time job, but they, at least they get to play at this high level team. And when I say, okay, it's, we're done, we're not going to be, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, really it was kind of depressing for them. And it was actually very depressing for me. So did you pull out? What happened? In the end, I struggled with it all over Christmas. I told at the beginning of Christmas break, I told the guy who runs this league, I said, you went, we're out. And then at the end I said, you know what? I, I actually reconsider. I said, I think we'll at least we'll finish out the season because okay. I couldn't live with it. I felt terrible about pulling out. I'm just not someone who likes to, I'm not a quitter. I hate quitting things. Right. And I especially quitting kind of out of spite and frustration, you know, like, all right, screw it. If you guys don't want to do this thing, if guys want to play in games, if you're, you know, then we're done, we're out. Right. That's not a great way to finish something. I mean, I can, I can actually agree with what you're saying and also have experience of it. Um, I don't know whether I've mentioned this to you before, but I used to, be lead singer of a band an irish band called money penny and I, right. I was sang in that band for five years and formed the band uh, as a singer songwriter and definitely it was my energy that you know created the band and i think the last two years i started to get disheartened in it and the whole energy of it dissipated and we did less traveling we did less touring we did less gigs etc cetera, etc cetera. and it just right. kind of went downhill just so you do you do need to just completely keep on top of these things yeah, so, and, and it's just it's all a reflection of you. And I, I, I mentioned I was talking to some of the guys in the team, and I said, you know, I've just realized that Cobalt is a reflection. Obviously, it's a reflection of my personality. The kind of people around the team, everything about it is really a reflection of me. In my, I, but uh, on top of that, the state of the team is almost a reflection of my mood. Right. So if I'm really into it and like we're going to be the best team in the country and we're going to, you know, do this and we're going to do that, then everyone gets really fired up and gets very competitive. You know, they're like, oh, man, I got to start getting serious. Otherwise, I'm going to get cut because Jason's going to find some better players. Right. And people start getting nervous because you start pulling on new guys. But if I lay back and I'm just like, eh, you know, I'm just kind of it's obvious I'm not thinking a whole lot about it. And people just start dragging ass and not taking it that seriously. And so it's, I, it's, it's, it's not I shouldn't be surprised that it gets that state because it's just a reflection of me. You know, I can't get grumpy that nobody wants to come to the game because I'm not putting anything into it. You know, and I think that's the same way with a startup. I mean, you know, it's like with your situation, it's like it's all probably keying off you. If you just decided, okay, I'm going to get really, you know, I'm going to start putting a lot of energy in this and I start communicating with these with these user base and, you know, then you'll probably see their energy go up and their requests and that'll probably drive things. What do you might guess? Well, let's do let's do a test. I'll try and um, I'll try and be a little bit more active about it. 
over the next week and I'll get back to you next week and let you know what happens. Yeah. I mean, it might take more than a week to get things turned around, but yeah. you know, I bet you if you over a, a few week period, you start really putting in energy and, and uh, you'll see results. Have you, have you had the storm today? Have you, I mean, I, the storm in LA for me has just been like, there was thunder that was, I, it must've just been over my head. It was so loud. It was unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's been raining, which of course is strange in LA. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> well, we have the rainy season in what, January and February, so we're in it now. Okay. But, you know, it's like we're, we're sunny all the time and then until it's not. And then it's like rains for a few weeks and then it's done. Does then, that water get collected or is it just, does it just sort of kind of go, does it get collected in reservoirs and stuff and used year round? Oh, you know, I don't know how oh, okay. <laughs> it works. I don't know much about the water system in LA. <laughs> I, I guess uh, probably to some degree because, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, no, it's that weird. I, I can't go with that anywhere with that topic because I know nothing. <laughs> so. Really, I thought you worked for the Office of Public Works. <laughs> That's right. That's my my other job. Um. Okay. So you said you said you had some topics you wanted to talk about. Yeah, what so let's, let's, uh, la, 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 la. Um, okay, so I'm looking at a few different ones. I'll, I'll just bring up one first that popped up. was One, one uh, blog post was build a custom search engine with PHP. Okay. Um, and uh, have you ever, what have you done with search engines aside from the built-in, like, say, MySQL tech search? Have you used, um, what's the Lucene or Sphinx or any of these other, um, search engines that you can tie into your database i've built about three custom search engines in php okay um and one of those one of those the 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 first search engine i built um was for a company called first consult and basically it was just completely custom where we created our own indexes and Mm -hmm. then the next two i basically used the mysql full text um full text column but sort of tweaked it so that it worked with my own waiting system. Okay. Um, but in terms of using Lucene and moving away to fully blown search, uh, you know, external search um, products, I haven't done that. Haven't done that. Yeah, no, I know. In terms of the quality that you found, I mean, what, what, what did you think? I mean, how your personal, your homegrown versus the MySQL stuff? I mean, how did, how did it work? Oh, it work definitely, well? definitely better because... I mean, the, the the main thing is is that um, the full text thing it returns a relevance value. So, right. my, in terms of homegrown ones, the best the best ones. Um, when I say I was sort of combining my own stuff with their stuff, what I would do is I would use. A, so, an article has a subject, an article has a body, and an article has tags. So, what I would do is I would use full text on the on all of those columns, and then apply different weights. So. Full so text. The title might have twice the weighting of the of the body or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah, yep. and Very so fun. that makes a very good search system. Rather than, I mean, the traditional thing to do is to just basically create one big search bucket, and mm-hmm. bung it. You know, bung the title, the subject, and all of the different parts of the document into that. And so you just sort of search this one big search bucket with MySQL full text. But by adding the weights, it just creates a much more relevant system. And then you've got. Um, have you heard of Porter Stemming? Uh, you explain. Go on to so that. basically, Porter Stemming um, takes any word and breaks it down to its root. Okay. So walking would be taken to walk. You know. Okay. And right. um, it's if you just search for PHP Porter Stem, 
um, you'll find a class or PHP Porter STEM class. You'll find a class out there. And then you just make sure that when you index all your data, you sort of munge it as you insert uh, records into the search system, you munge it and you shove every word through the Porter STEM. So then when so someone... So, so when, this in, yeah, go on. Okay, go on. So, but when someone does a search, if if they type in walking, um, the first thing the script does is it converts it to walk, and then it searches all the records for walk rather than walking. So walks and walking would be kind of they have the same border stem root. Okay, see what I'm saying? And yeah. then um, also there's another thing called metaphone. Uh, okay. Which is a PHP function that does a similar, Lights, a similar like a kind light of thing. Or sounds like, or something. Yeah, it's like once it's one step lower. So, so Porter stem is the closest to the word, and then if you want to go one step broader, you can go to metaphone, and what okay. that what that'll do is it breaks it down into syllables, and then if you want to go one step further, you go to soundex, and that basically you could type in walks, and you may end you may get back elephant. <laughs> right. <laughs> soundex is like the most fuzzy matching. Metaphone right. is, is medium fuzzy matching, and then uh, the Porter stem is like quite tight in terms of fuzzy fuzzy matching. Sounds like a good topic for a, a, a sort of technical article, mm, doing okay. what you're just describing. It's right? a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's nice, um, and you get to, you know, when you are when you are doing that yourself, you do get to tweak it, and you get to make it to get the kind of results that you want back. Um, right. It it's a it does take time um, and and effort. So <laughs> you'd save yourself a shitload of time if you just used Lucene. <laughs> Let's put it that right. way. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I looked at um, I, I was looking into it. I mean, it's it's not something I'm working on right now, but I was th- sort of one of those things that I, I know I'm going to have to deal with. So I wanted to start doing a little research into it. And there's something called Sphinx, which is like a I, I think it's like an uh, you know. Uh, it's a search engine that you can that can easily tie in um, to MySQL or Postgres or whatever, and has you know you can access with PHP or Ruby or Python or whatever, and and it's something I think it runs like natively uh, on the machine, so it's not like it's in, in Java or something where you need a VM on it. But um, right. it seemed pretty cool. I, w- I had an article I started reading through it a little bit, but I hadn't um, I haven't done any experimentation with it. I was just curious if you had had any experience. Have you heard of Sphinx? I haven't, I haven't heard of Sphinx, but um, I guess the thing that's always going to happen with any, every search engine, whether you build one yourself or whether you use something like Sphinx or Lucene, is that it'll have an indexing process. So it'll have some way of you telling it where your documents are and basically running a script, and it will convert those documents and kind of suck them into the index. Yeah. And then once everything's indexed, then the search engine starts working. Because uh, some a lot of people don't don't know that you have to go through this indexing process to make your search right. engine work properly. I wonder how I wonder how you do like text search like that on some of these key value databases. Is document like Couch or Mongo or Cassandra or something like that? I don't know. Or, you I know, mean, another thing that'd be interesting too is like you know the friend feed that schemaless database. How friend feed did I that? Think... Where they said right, they just said they stuck. They used JSON. Or maybe it was like a binary JSON. I think it was just JSON. They would they would have their their tables would only have one an ID column and then another like text um, column which they would just shove in JSON. I mean that so, that sounds kind of similar to the to when when you create a search index, that's kind of where you take it to. You take it to a kind of key value thing, right? Right, and that and it's easier to basically search through because if I understand the um, the key value stuff the way that Mongo and that lot works. 
and also Amazon SimpleDB. Basically, you just pass a search term and it, it will search the, the various different columns and come back with a row, which is right. essentially what a search engine is. Right. So, but, but but those things all have to be kind of done. Um, I'm just wondering how that would be done. I mean, is it kind of done at the indexes are updated every time you do an insert, right? Yeah. But well, so, so you have a couple. You have a. Uh, I mean, you have different strategies. So that's that's one strategy, um, and basically the index, because you can have like different indexes. So you can have your sort of live updated index, but then you can have a script that basically dumps that index and syncs it with your with the actual index that everyone's doing the reads from right right or alternatively you can have it all live but if you do that's going to kind of slow things down a little bit for the for the reads to have the same database that way there right do you keep on um opening and closing your mic switch by the way i did once did it cause a, a no it's a, just it's just a, like a little a little bump just to let you know yeah i'll try not to do that um Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to look into that. I might, I might uh, bring it up again later once I do a little more research into it. I was just curious, get a little, little feedback. Um, cool. <laughs> here's kind of a funny thing. Back my very first startup, um, it was it, I, I did it with a friend of mine from college, and my one of my best friend from high school was also living out here in LA, and you know we grew up together in Atlanta, but um, we both. He went to college out here in, in, in the L.A., and I moved out here after a while after going to school in Chicago. And so we're all three out here, and we're in my first startup. And, he, and the friend of mine who lived in the area, he just put a desk in our office because he would stop by, and he just needed a place to work because he, he was doing a lot of writing. So he would just write. Instead of writing from home, he would hang out with us. Okay. And so we would sit around, these three of us. You know, we, you know, if we were writing code, you know, we'd just start arguing about all these crazy stuff. And I remember there was this conversation over the concept of a planimal. Like, would it be possible for an organism to be half plant or half animal? <laughs> oh, definitely. Animal. And so we, 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 I mean, this was an ongoing debate. And we had many debates like this that were just kind of ridiculous in nature. But we would, you know, go in, you know, trying to get in depth. And we'd had all these sketches and diagrams and arguments on the whiteboard of the planable. <laughs> well, it turns out just recently there's something called the sea slug. It's half plant, half animal. Uh, I mean, it was like, yeah. Behold the planimal. It was amazing. I got that link, and with a friend of mine who, uh, one of my friend Phil, who uh, my co-founder of that company, he he forwarded me the email, and he's just like, "Yeah, it's real. We were and right. Were you were you close to its design in your sketches? <laughs> I don't think. I I think someone drew like looked like a looked like a, a a man slash plant. This is a sea slug. So, but the idea was, could an animal uh, perform photosynthesis? get energy from the sun right? right that was the that was really the core of the argument I mean, that's that was the issue it's like you know could could you have something that moves around like an animal but actually performs photosynthesis well that's what the sea slug does essentially it has to essentially the sea slugs when they're you know in sort of baby form or they're young they eat algae but then they absorb something these things i think called chloroplasts which um, aid or, or uh, in the process of photosynthesis. So once they've eaten enough of these algae, their own DNA absorbs, or their own or you know cells start absorbing these chloroplasts instead of just digesting them. And then they be, and then they themselves, their whole back of the sea slug starts performing photosynthesis. Did I tell you about my planting babies theory? No, no. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. <laughs> 
sounds, this sounds like a highway to hell. All right. Well, planting babies. Okay. Okay. If you planted babies <laughs> and basically allowed them to grow in the soil, but, but fed them, would there, if you kept on doing that and, and basically breeding them with each other for a million years, would they turn into human plants? Good God. That's, Okay, let's just skip the whole disgusting factor on that thing. But right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I think not. <laughs> but wouldn't no? But wouldn't they kind of just because they'd be used to that environment, and and you would continually breed their, you know, their. Um, well, uh, you know what, evolutionary biology, well, evolutionary, <laughs> the, the, you know, natural selection is all based on selective pressure that gives you that improves the organism's ability to reproduce successfully. Right. So if it's, if, 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 well, so, okay. Um, okay. So you, okay. So you would select, you would select the ones that live the longest. That live the longest. Yeah. Now, if you're feeding them anyway, these humans that are buried, you, gra- you gradually feed them less and less and then you select the ones. That okay. Live you the better longest. start photosynthesizing. Or you're dead. You know, <laughs> That's disgusting. It reminds me. I think there was a uh, there was a, uh, a, a an old B horror movie that I saw when I was a kid in this. I think it was in the seventies, early eighties, called Motel Hell. Right. Where people people driving by if their car, if their car broke down in front of this house, this old hotel motel, this old guy and his wife would take them and and they would knock them out with some kind of a you know a sleep agent and then they would bury them underground to the head up to the head. Right. And until until they some point they got really weak and then they would kill them and cure them and and make them into. We bacon. should save this episode for the Halloween edition. Yeah, this is disgusting. Ooh. But you're essentially talking about Motel Hell. I told you this is a. Hey, have you um have you heard of Ricky Gervais talking about flanimals? Have you heard of Ricky Gervais flanimals? No, what are flanimals? Oh, it's just basically. Do you know who Ricky Gervais is? He's a British comedian. Yeah, I, only thing I heard, I heard he bombed on the Golden Globes. Oh really? Oh well. Which is anyway, funny because I you because I, I told someone at one point that you reminded me of that of him. <laughs> well, I, I can certainly imagine myself bombing at the Golden Globes. Maybe so. it's just the English accent. I, maybe because you're the only few people that I know with an English accent. So anyway, do a Google for flanimal, and then you'll see some of the stuff about Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais right. flanimals. Okay, and basically, it's a but similar kind of concept. Let's get back to reality. Back to text. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to cut that out. By the way, fine. You know. <laughs> You just be known to the guy who wants to bury babies, or no? Make- I mean, clearly, I don't want to bury babies. It's just <laughs> the theoretical concept of it is just something that's intriguing. Yeah, it's just gross. Okay, I found here's one. It's called "Lost Sleep um, Can't Be Made Up." Study suggests. So this is all. This all falls in thing. Our, our sort of life hacks, productivity right. hacks that we tend to talk about sometimes. Yeah, you and, you spoke about the. Did you speak about the caffeine hack, the caffeine sleep hack, or did yeah, I read it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Now, I don't know. Um, you know, essentially, one of the things they were saying is that, for instance, um, if you say you sleep, you only slide yourself to sleep five or six hours a night, and then yeah. you say, all right, well, and you get progressively, you you incur more and more sleep debt. So, come Thursday or Friday, you're getting pretty wiped out. And then you think, okay, well, that's fine. I'm just going to sleep like 10 or 12 hours on Saturday. You know, it turns out that it doesn't really work that way. Right. It doesn't up. So, um, so you don't catch up. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's, and it's, I mean, there's more detail to it, but part of it is that this, it, you know, this, the, it, they think that 
the circadian rhythms, you know, the way your, your body's sort of natural sleeping rhythms and stuff work, it doesn't, you don't really gain as much during that time. And also the sun makes a difference. I think that, you know, when the, when, when the, when the sun is out, your body isn't sleeping as heavily or something. I, I don't know that you don't get as good as sleep, but you know, you know, people can read the article it just types lost sleep can't made up, can't be made up study suggests, or we'll put a link to it. I'm sure but, we um, didn't talk about the caffeine power nap. I think I read did. it. We did. We did. No, we did. We did. Did we talk caffeine power nap? I think I just read it. I don't think we spoke about it. Well, the caffeine power nap is right. Like if you if you have some caffeine right before you take a nap, you've got like a twenty minute bandwidth. Right, and if you, you fall asleep in that twenty minutes, then you'll wake up and you'll be much more refreshed, and you wake up quicker. Right. Yeah. That's it. Isn't that right? Yep. That's it. Yeah, um, you know, my wife would suggest that to me all the time. She's like, yeah, we should some coffee and take a quick nap. And I'm like, really? She's like, look, it's not going to kick in right away. And she was right. You know, it actually works out. Assuming that you can down the coffee relatively quickly, you don't take an hour and a half to, to drink it, in which case it's not going to work out. But I've noticed lately I keep taking naps <laughs> in the late afternoon for like a half hour, <laughs> 20 minutes, and it really helps. Really? It does. Well, you know, I, I, luckily I have in my office, I have, a, uh, I have like a futon couch. You should be oh. called uh, Jason, the sleeping web developer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, I don't get that much sleep, but you know, I, I, I sleep normally probably, I'm thinking six, I don't know, probably seven to seven and a half hours a night. Sometimes it goes at eight, but it's around seven to seven and a half. And I think my body really needs seven and a half to eight. So if, if, I, if I start getting towards seven, I get kind of tired. So I have to take a nap for 20, 30 minutes. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not very productive at the end of the day. That last hour and a half a day is... is not very good time. But if I, if I say, all right, because you might say, okay, well, let's say, let's say that uh, you got an hour and a half left in your work day. And instead of saying, I'm just going to crank really hard, but the fact is your brain isn't working that well. It's better to just take a nap for 20 minutes and then, you know, work for the rest of the time. At least for me, it is. So, but what, oh, regardless, sorry. But yep. regardless, the whole thing is, uh, you know, try and, um, it's like you don't want to build up a huge sleep debt because you're not going to make it up very well. And it's going to take you a while to catch up. And it's just kind of, it's also like software development, right? It's like you want to take it, it's like a, a stitch in time saves nine. That whole right. concept is just, you know, you don't want technical debt to add up because then it just be, then you end up having your code turns into a big ball of mud. Yeah. <laughs> it takes forever to get it refactored. It's like, you know, sometimes you need to push aside some of the refactorings and some of the improvements that you want to do because you're just trying to, um, you're kind of trying to survey the coding landscape a little bit, get a bigger sense of what's going on before you start optimizing, but you don't want to wait forever. A great practice is to just never allow a bug to exist. So as long, as soon as you hear about a bug, all other work stops and you fix that bug. And that's just what you do every time you hear about a bug. It's very difficult because obviously so much, so many bugs are going to be reported through, especially if you've got a complex product. But if you can do that, that's going to make your life a lot easier. That's kind of interesting about that. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the kind, what you're classifying as a bug, too, because some things, bugs might be like, well... Oh, user perception. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think you probably, generally speaking, want to try and knock out, you know, big bugs, bugs that are sort of at a core level that can affect a lot of things, get that stuff knocked out. But there can be like, well, hey, you know, it doesn't validate this field in, in the right way in certain certain circumstances. And it's like, ah, uh, you know. Yeah, but it's really easy to let that go. And if you yeah. if you let that go, those those little ones, then 
people generally using your product will just kind of think, hmm, this is kind of rough around the edges. Yeah, and I, I think you're probably right. I, it just, I think it takes a lot of discipline to do, to do that all the time, you know, because it's so boring fixing bugs in comparison to like uh, adding features and, and writing new code. I mean, so I think you kind of have to find a balance where, because if you, I think a lot of coding, at least for me, has to do with motivation. So if I'm motivated and excited, I get a lot done. If I'm not, I get very little done. So if I spend all this time doing stuff that's the right, maybe it's the right way to do it, but it's just boring the crap out of me and it's making the whole process painful, then I might just get nothing done for a long time or just stop working on it altogether. You know what? It's a bit like uh, Zen, like raking a Zen garden. Like you, you can sort of build your own satisfaction into dealing with those little things. So if you kind of convince your mind and hack your mind into thinking, that this is a great achievement to... I am going to squat some bugs today. This, <laughs> to I'm fix these be small awesome. bugs. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, a, no, kind you... of a zen, zen approach to software. Like Zen and the art of software, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure people have written numerous articles about that, but I think that's probably a good point. I, I, think, I think that's true. You, if, you can, if you can take a step back and try and get yourself to be excited about certain things... Um, you know, like I'm like, you know, I'm going to get really fired up about doing some customer support stuff, or I'm going to get really fired up about doing some refactoring or some documentation. You get to get yourself in the mode to do it, I guess. And try I'm going to get really stuff. fired up about debugging JavaScript in IE. Yeah. Yeah. You can get fired up just about anything. If you get yourself, I don't you, think you can get fired up about that. And I actually have some of that I have to be doing too. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I I'm going to get really fired up about fixing fixing CSS bugs in IE. Right. Well, you know, how, <laughs> the question is like, how do you get yourself fired up about certain things? I mean, certain things. Well, you know how it is. It's like there will be a period of time when some topic will be of incredible interest to you, and then like six months or a year later, you'll look at that book and you go, "Oh my god, I could not read that book. That just sounds like hell." Right. Yeah. And I remember my uh, my first startup with uh, my buddy Phil, he, we would, um, you know, we, we had all these technical books. So we, every time we had some new problem to solve, you're, you know, you're buying all these technical books on things. And sometimes you'd work on, you'd buy a book because there's something you're working on, but you end up not going in a different direction. So you end up kind of abandoning that line of research. Right. But you still have these books lying around, right? And he's this case, like come walk by, he grabs some 500 page technical tomb and just tome and just drop it on my desk he's like yeah could you uh work through this and give me a synopsis on this uh, in the morning <laughs> <laughs> you just look at this book and you're just like holy crap does that sound like hell right but there was at one point some months back where i was thinking oh this is so interesting i can't wait to get home and, and read this and start learning this stuff you know yeah but there was a point at which i was excited about it for me it's like and I, I would imagine that it's a lot of software developers are like this. It's like there's some problem that you're trying to get to. There's something you're trying to build. And if it's, if it's in your way, if there's some wall that you need to scale that's in your path, then it's just part of the overall challenge, right? It gets exciting. Like, okay, I got I to gotta scale this wall. How the hell am I going to get over this damn thing, right? And then it, gets, it turns into a challenge, and then it gets to be fun. But if it's like, yeah, here's this just random topic. Why don't you just go learn it? You're just like, ugh. You know, it's harder for me to get excited about learning just random stuff. Do you have you ever encountered the um, Firefox position relative bug? Which one specifically? What are you talking about? This is C- sorry CSS. 
For, now, we're not going to talk about lining up bullet points. Oh, again, sorry, sorry. No, no. I'm sorry. I, I started that wrong. It's the IE CSS position relative bug, where basically when you use floats or do strange esoteric stuff, if you don't have position relative, stuff just disappears off the screen. Have you ever encountered mm. that? Where stuff just dis disappears off your IE screen? I don't know if I've run up to, I've run into a lot of things that drive me crazy with the position relative and and you know things so I I don't know if I've seen that one. I I've, I've, I've run into a million of them though. That was yeah. that was one. I mean I was just talking about um finding satisfaction in working on something that you hate like for example CSS bugs in IE. That was something that uh I don't know I was battling with for a year. Stuff just kept on disappearing off the screen in IE. Like, and I guess it was just the method that I was using. So what I was doing was I was, I don't know, floating a bunch of elements left and then making sure that they would, uh, returning to the next line. And I was using a few Z indexes and a few different things and they just would disappear. Like literally you'd load the page and they would just like, they'd be there for a second and then disappear. And all the fix to the bug was to put position colon relative in those components yeah. and then they show. And that yeah. is just such a crazy bug, but it was, it's not, and I, I didn't even kind of fix it myself. I was sort of shown it by someone else, but it was like mm -hmm. very, very satisfying experience to finally understand why those things are disappearing. Yeah. You know, for CSS, for me, it's kind of interesting because I've, I think I have a lot of, I've developed a lot of superstitions right. <laughs> with CSS, which is like, <laughs> I never, there's a lot of things I don't think I ever got to a root understanding of why things were done a certain way, but I have a sense, I've tried so many things that I kind of figured out things that work, or I've at least have isolated it down to a few possible things that might work. Right. And, but there are certain things that are just like, you know how sometimes you'll, you'll put in some log statements or you do some things, you'll get something to work, but instead of spending an extra half hour to get a good, true understanding of it, you're just like, screw it, move on. Yeah. But then later on, there's one of three things that could have been, so it just becomes kind of a superstition. You know, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. That I think it doesn't work right. And you think about it later, you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? <laughs> it just sort of becomes the superstition, you know? Well, it's also, just, yeah, yeah, no, that reminds me of, um, of something that uh, an ex-boss of mine once said to me, which is that, as you sort of work on stuff over the years, you kind of forget the reason why you do it. You just know that it's the right thing to do. And then when you try right. and explain it to someone else, you don't exactly have the reason to explain it. But, you, but five years ago, you learned why that was the right way to do it. Yeah. And, and CSS <laughs> and is a lot like that because yeah. there's so many little weird rules and they're not consistently... Uh, applied in the different browsers or different browser versions and it and just so many like depending on the context of what you're doing things will work or not work and so it's so easy to develop a lot of superstitions i think it, css can suck up so much time it can it's always a frustration to a certain degree that's why i got to put on music or put on something interesting not even music like listen to an interesting podcast or something that i can just kind of ha have to and just try different things and keep trying stuff until something works you know like I have enough expertise to get myself in the ballpark of what I want, but occasionally I'm just like, I don't, you know, this is weird. Let me just try this. Why is this not? And you just keep trying random stuff until it works across all four browsers or something. Yeah. You know, it's like anything. It's like persistence is the key, uh, key attribute. You know, it's a great quote. Let me see if I can find out that quote ahead of other persistence. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, one one good trick for CSS is basically when you just get down a blind alley and you can't get, you just can't sort it out, just rip everything out and start again. Right. <laughs> and just copy and paste it in one by one and work out where it's gone.
you know, what the hell's gone wrong? So here's the quote about persistence. It was funny. He says, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education alone will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan press on, what do you say? Yeah, has solved and will always solve the problems of the human race. Just persistence. Yeah. Nice. This, 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 yeah, the That's slogan press on has, has solved and will always solve the problems of the human race. Yeah, by Calvin Coolidge, which I think someone had mentioned also, he was the one who like, didn't he didn't run a second term or something? <laughs> so essentially persistence is... <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't following his own advice. But, I think but, so. I think that's right. But, but persistence uh, basically outweighs genius then, is what he yeah, said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think that's the, uh, I think that's the case. And I remember when I, was in, uh, when I was young, like in high school and stuff, I used to think talent was everything, right? It was all about your natural genius, you know, your natural, you know, as I was into sports too, it was your natural athletic ability. And those things are important. I mean, you can't always overcome those things. But as long as you have enough talent to be in the game, then it really comes down to your, your ongoing um, determination and passion to consistently work hard um, at something. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're not athletic at all, I don't care how hard you try, you're not going to be in the NBA or the NFL or play professional soccer or something, right? It's just not going to happen. You got to be a really good athlete. But if you're a really good athlete, meaning that, you know, but there's still tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of really good athletes who, if they really tried hard, they made it their life mission, you know, could reach these well i saw that in music a lot where you'd get like a kid who would be i don't know 16 years old and fantastic at guitar but then uh i don't know like five years later when you when you compare him to someone else of his of that age you may be a 25 year old or um i guess that's 10 years later but like 25 year old who's just been working at it at the same time they're they're kind of equal It's, it's you just get that advantage up front but in the long run you don't really keep it yeah, you you're right. You get an you get a need you get an early advantage, you get an early head start. But sometimes what happens I think is that in school and other places where they start selecting for that, like, you know, if you're and I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote about that in um Outliers and he starts talking about I think in in the in the um in the hockey playing hockey in Canada that if you looked at the professional I think hockey league that a, a large percentage of them had birthdays that were in like January, February, March. Because those were the cutoffs, so they would. So people with early birthdays were the oldest people in their age group. So if you're eight or nine or ten or eleven years old, and you're you tend to be better than the other kids, partially because you're six to nine or twelve months older than the rest, of them, then you have an advantage. And those and those on average get selected for the all-star teams, to the state select teams, to whatever. And the kids who aren't as good, they don't get selected for the special coaching on the special all-star teams, or they don't make the team at all. And so they get cut. Interesting. So does that mean across the whole sport that kids who are born on January essentially, you know, have a, have a higher pass through rate up the leagues? That's right. Yeah, I know. I haven't actually read the book. I've 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 read reviews of it. Or people, a lot of people have talked about that particular article um, because it's. I think it resonates with 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 what people have seen. Um, is that you know if you're on the older side, you really have an advantage, and uh, or and likewise if you're on the young, if you're really on the young side, you have a distinct disadvantage, and uh, they they call it like I think there's a term for it where people sometimes hold their kids back a year so their kids are on the older 
side and they call it red diapering (laughs) because when you go to college in the u.s in the in the u.s you may not be familiar with this but in the u.s if say you go to one of these division one colleges to play sports and and say football or basketball or something and you're on a scholarship what thumbs they'll do they call it red shirting which is you don't actually play in any games or maybe you'll play as like one game in which case you don't use up one year of years of eligibility because you don't you can't play for like 10 years for college team you have like four years of eligibility that you have to play over a period of five or six years total okay so like okay what we're going to do we've we've given you a full scholarship you're playing football at our at this college usc you're going to practice and train with the team for a year. You're going to work out with weights. You're going to get bigger. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get more technically skilled, but we're not going to play you. We're not, we're gonna, you're going to be a technically a freshman next year. I mean, you can be taking classes and everything, hmm. but you're not actually going to play so that you, your years here, you'll be better. And so they call that red, that's called being redshirted or nonsense because you always a redshirt freshman or yeah. something. So that means he's yeah. actually a sophomore. Well, hell, with, with kids, they call it red diapering. <laughs> We're going to, you know, hold our kid back. And it's funny because our, our son Colby has a birthday at the end of September. So he's uh, on the young side. And so we put him in a kindergarten early because we had two choices, which is um, either he repeats. He was already in preschool for the pre-K for the, the year right before kindergarten. Right. So either he's going to repeat pre-K again, and that would cost us, you know, whatever, $500 a month or $400 a month or something. It's kind of expensive. And it wasn't even full time necessarily. And he was already reading and stuff. So it's like, well, what the hell is he going to do with these kids? They're going to be like babies to him, you know? Right. Um, Because he was already on the advanced edge for the kids that were in that class who were already older. So we said, let's put him into kindergarten. But we couldn't put him into private school because private schools don't take – you have to be five by, I think, September 1st at the very latest to be accepted into a private school. So we could – that wasn't even an option. So we had to send him to public school. And which, you know, which is fine. So we'll send a public school because they'll allow you to put them in uh, as a little bit younger. Now, you don't pay for public school, do you? Public school is free. And um, but he's, you know, one of the youngest, if not the youngest in his class. And, you know, I was always kind of against that. I'm just like, I don't really think that's a good idea, especially for boys. I mean, the general, the, the, the sort of. Um, the conventional wisdom is, look, you know, especially for boys, it could take a little longer to mature emotionally, to settle down, be able to pay attention in class and, right. you know, that kind of stuff. But also for, you know, Colby, who's athletic and I'm, you know, obviously, I t- like I mentioned, you know, I play a lot of sports and I'm like, you know, Colby's going to be a good athlete. You know, we're going to really hamstring him if he's the youngest kid in this class. <laughs> you know, I understand the reality of it, you know. Are you going to be like one of those dads who is the kind of archetypal dad who you see in movies like Breakfast Club or whatever, where they're like really driving their kids because of sports and, you know, we've got to be a winner, son. You've got to be a winner. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, clearly. I, I mean, I'm going to beat him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to actually going to, you know, punish him if he doesn't win, uh, you know, the weekend. No, I, I, um, you know, I, I know there's there's sort of this fine line between saying being a parent who is overly neurotic and competitive and pushing their kids and like, oh, my kid is taking violin and, you know, age four and doing gymnastics and taking Chinese classes and, you know, all this crap, you know, where they're just like totally overbooking them and stressing them out. Right. And, you know, and then you have on the other side, you have the parents who are just like, hey, you know, whatever. The kids, you know, all kids eventually learn. They all learn, you know, let him find his own path. Well, 
you can err on both sides, right? You can burn kids out yeah. and they end up hating whatever it is that you were pushing them to, whether it was like piano lessons or playing some sport or, you know, whatever, you know, it can just take years of effort just can go down the drain because you, because it was, they were doing it not for themselves but because you wanted them to do it. So it just is, is kind of, can be kind of stupid. But if you just let, don't, you know, put, not, I don't want really push them, but you sort of like facilitate things for them. So if they have an ability and they have an interest and they have a passion, then you want to make sure that they're able to excel if they want to, that you're not, you know. You don't want to be too laissez-faire about it, basically. Yeah, I mean, because here's the, here's the kind of the, the reality of this, and it, which is that, and I, this is probably not so interesting for people who don't have kids yet, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just say a little bit about this. I think it's this. interesting. I think, I think everyone's interested in, in psychology and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah, so, you know, I, you know, I talk to a lot of parents because Colby's, my son Colby is playing, he's five and a half for now, or almost five and a half, and he's playing, you know, soccer and basketball now and things like that. And so I talk to some of their parents and, and um, you know, in one sense, you can't wait until your kid is like 13 or 14 to start playing a sport anymore. You know, hmm. it's over. It's too late. I mean, there's kids, you see some of these kids playing some of these sports who are 10 or 11 and they are unbelievably good already, Right. And it but just I'm, keeps getting more, and it just keeps getting more and more that whole selection thing. Like we're talking about the Canada, you know, the Canadian hockey things. The kids are way ahead. You can't just say, hey, you know, you just don't, you have no shot ever catching up. So you've essentially selected your kid out of it. You've essentially said, so if your kid gets to high school, it's like, dad, you know, why didn't you like put me into sports when I was younger? Why didn't you want, you know, why'd you put me in these crap? But how does, how do you know that the, like a five-year-old kid, how do you know that he prefers baseball or soccer or you swimming? Don't. Like how, how, so you just put him in everything and then, and then he started everything early and then he's going to make his choice. Yeah. The, the way, way I works? describe it is like, look, I'm not trying to, I don't want to overbook him and it's not like he's, you know, doing this stuff day and night, but I'm, I'm, you know, I've played a lot of sports, so I have a certain level of competence in these different sports. So I just kind of cross train. I'm like, you know, we're throwing the football, we're playing basketball, we're playing soccer. So by the time he's eight or nine, he'll be very competent at a lot of different sports. Right. So when he gets to like junior high or something and he's like, yeah, I did. I love baseball, I love football. He's already pretty good. <laughs> he's already good. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not like, you know, cause a lot of times you go to a new school or you go to some school and all your friends are playing some sport or, or doing something or what, or maybe it's not just, I'm using sports as an example. It can be music or art or whatever. Yeah. And all your friends are doing it. So you decide, so it gets you excited about doing it, but then they're just so much further advanced. It's just can be really hard to catch up. So, and so for my kids, I'm going to have to do like guitar lessons, piano lessons, computer programming. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, like I said, culinary, <laughs> culinary skills. You're right. Well, a lot of, the thing is that if you burn them out on any of this stuff, like you make it feel like they're doing it for you or that you're making them do this stuff, they're, it's, it's, they're going to stop doing it the minute you, yeah. the minute you're like, you back off. It's not, it has to be internally motivated. So you kind of let them kind of lead and they're like, dad, I want to go like, you know, Colby's like, dad, I want to go play basketball. Let's go kick the basketball. You know, all right, right. All right we, go, we go do it. You know, it's not like I'm like, Hey Colby, you know, time to go play basketball again. He's just like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes they'll say, Colby, you know, the soccer day, you want to go? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, gets excited. And that's, that's, that's how it works, you know? But I don't know. I mean, you know, I think being a parent is like, you never know what the right thing is. All you can try and do is, is, is try and guess. I mean, you never know what your kids are ultimately going to be. They're not you. You don't know what their interests are going to evolve into. All you can try and do is give them a foundation in things. And, uh, you know, some kids... And I can look at them and I can say, I can kind of like, and what I try and do is look at my kids and say, okay, and right now they're all very young, so it's pretty hard to tell, but 
you know, you get a sense of what they're, what they're, what kind of kids they are. You know, some kids are real artistic, some kids are real athletic, some kids are real social, some are a combination of those things. But you got to pay attention to it and just see what is it that they really want to do and excel at. And so my wife and I were both athletes, and we were both a, the same kind of an athlete. And so it's like, it's not a big shock that our kids are going to be built like us. You know, my kid, you know, my, I'm 5'10", my kid is not going to be six foot nine. You know, this this, ladies and gentlemen, is something this is something that sets us apart from this week in tech, from no agenda, from Stack Overflow. You don't get this kind of useful information (laughs) on those other podcasts like this podcast. This podcast is something special. Like you're going to get a lot of information on this show that you wouldn't get on the other shows. (laughs) Meanwhile, everyone else is just fast forward. It's like, when the hell are they going to quit talking? So anyway, the whole whole, point is that that it's just, um, I'm just trying to build a foundation on the things that that he he demonstrates interested in, that he seems like he's a natural at. You know, I I asked Kobe, like I joke with him because my my daughter, my middle daughter loves to sing constantly, singing and dancing. So she just, and she loves, she's trying to take ballet. I mean, she's only three and a half, but she goes nuts about doing ballet, wants to wear a ballerina dress and is constantly singing. And I look at Kobe, I'm like, hey, Kobe, you want to sing? (laughs) Just just to see. He's like, no. (laughs) No, I mean, he looks at me like, you know. Give me that wrench, dad. I want to take apart the car. Yeah, I mean, he wants to, you know, like, he's really technically inclined. It's like my, yesterday, my wife, my, my youngest daughter broke our DVD player. She grabbed onto the tray and broke it. And so my, my, my Sandy, my wife, is very, she's kind of naturally technical. Like, she fixes everything around right. the house. She's really good with, you know, things like that. And so she's, so she, she and Colby... And Colby loves to do projects there. They took it apart. They took apart the DVD player, found the broken part, figured out how everything worked, fixed it. Now we have a working DVD player. He loves that stuff. Okay. I think we've done enough kids now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I just thought that I, was funny. No, I mean, I think I seem to remember that I brought it up and it, it is very fascinating, but I do think we should uh, have a, like a time limit on our, yeah. on our talk about so let's, that. Let's, uh, let's hit, the, uh, hit something else. Um, okay. So what, what other subjects did you have in mind to talk about today, my friend? Let's see here. I'm finding my my uh, list of links. Okay. Have you heard of something? Something came out. I, I thought you might like. It was called Community Tracker. It was a cross between Stack Overflow and Git Satisfaction. Yeah, I did hear about Community Tracker, and apparently, it takes the best from Stack Overflow and the best from um, what's the other one? Well, what do you think? Because you were complaining about, I think, that very thing. Weren't you some of the voting stuff or some? I did, you know what? I didn't, I didn't kind of get stuck into it and have a good look around it. I landed on the homepage and it, it didn't invite me in. So it, it just, didn't. It just, whatever way they'd done the layout, whatever way they'd done the, the journeys, it just they didn't, they it didn't, didn't inspire me to click anything and, and register or anything. No. <laughs> I, got a, I got something to talk about. You okay. know how I use the word journey? Like, where yeah. did you get that, Pat? Where did you get that, that term to describe the user experience, the, the user journey? I think it's just from, uh, I guess, a lot of professional engagements in the companies that I've worked with. So I suppose probably started, I think it started when I was working with the user-centered user development in Elsevier, Reed Elsevier. So, is, that, is that a common nomenclature? I mean, if you're in the if you're in sort of the industry and you're communicating with other information architects and user designs people, yeah. are they all talking about user journeys? Yeah, is that basically, yeah. Typical? It is. It is very it's typical. Because to me, it sounds like um, 
it it sounds kind of like overdone like the user journey you know i it's a, <laughs> a journey just give me a break i mean what's the you know, maybe the well, what user do you call path. it what are you going to call it i, I don't know i mean it, I, I don't know it is a journey i mean okay look it's think, a journey think, you're you're like your 2 minute journey <laughs> Well, it's but that's like exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Journey, think think about be- signing up for a site like um, eBay, right? Right. You, it, it is a journey. You've got first of all, you you arrive on a page and you you make a decision on whether you're interested in that site, whether you can be part of it. Then you sign up. Then you get an email in your inbox. Then you click that. And at every step of the way, which another another thing to call it is a funnel, because you basically mm-hmm. want to end up with a, an end result. Yeah, so you yeah. go down this journey. Where are people dropping off during the funnel, during the journey? And you want to make your journey as good as possible. I'm not sure what else. Tell me. No, another, I, another I, it's fair enough. I, I guess I would call it like the. I, I mean, I'm not sure if I have a term for it. Maybe user path, or I, I, I don't. I don't really know. User but, progression. User path. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's 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 a good enough term because nothing else works any better. But it reminds me of like all of these. Um, these shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, right? Have you, have you seen those shows? Have you yeah, heard of yeah, them? yeah. Right. So they're always talking about this. We've this journey that we've had together. This journey, oh, like, right, right, right. Give me a break. You went on on three dates and it's a journey. Okay. <laughs> what mean, about? It what? It's just so overstated. It's so exaggerated. Like. Okay. What about um, filling out? Uh, have you ever have you ever joined a social network? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a Facebook account, although I don't use okay, it. Okay. So joining joining a social network and actually such as myspace or facebook or whatever and actually building your profile there are a significant number of things that you have to go through like and and it's the journey that guides you through those and makes it easy for example filling out your linkedin profile like if 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 you knew up front all the crap that you had to do to make a good linkedin profile you probably wouldn't do it but it's because they create mm-hmm. the journey and move you from one step to another step that you like don't get depressed about having to do so much work yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, may, maybe the word is just spoiled for me because of like shows like The Bachelor. <laughs> it's just like retarded. They just say journey. It's like, okay, you don't get to say journey anymore. You know, it's like journey is just, you just, you, it's overused and it's exaggerated and it just is like false. It's like, you know, I love you, man. It's like, you don't really love that person. <laughs> I'll use the word love when you don't mean it. Here's a couple other ones. Well, I'd, I'd invite anyone in the comments to uh, make some suggestions instead of journey. Yeah, I would love to hear if there's another one. I mean, maybe it is the best. Maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just because of the bachelor that I'm irritated. Jason by. is irritated and offended by the word journey. We're looking for offended. something better. I'm not offended. I just think it just sounds ridiculous. Another one that sounds like passionate. You know, they're always talking about. I'm. You know, are you passionate about this? Are you passionate in terms of the startups? You know. Well, yeah, they are. That, that's that's something that. A lot of it investors sounds like kind of a little like over the top. Like one thing to be enthusiastic about. It's like we're passionate about. I mean, one was like we're passionate about data. <laughs> we're passionate about customer support. Well, it's better really than you know we're yeah, vaguely interested. I know, but it just it doesn't it seem a little. What are you passionate about? You know, truth, justice. I don't know, and uh, and uh, data. <laughs> I'm passionate about data. Well, are you passionate about your secret project? I am. I guess I am passionate about it. I mean, I guess there's no other word. It's one of those things that it's like there is no other word for it, but it still sounds a little bit, you know, over the top when you use it to me. Passionate sounds a little over the top sometimes. Kind of like texting. <laughs> texting. Yeah. Like, what the hell? It's the worst name ever. Hey, who thought of texting? I did, and then you liked it, and I couldn't convince you to change to use another. <laughs> you liked it too at the time. I hate it. For all the listeners out there, by the way, I hate 
the name texting and every other episode i think i try and talk justin into changing it and he never... i think i think it's just we're, we're kind of too far down the path to change it that's the from stuck with it it's like naming your kid a stupid name and by the time you're five or six you realize it's a terrible name but there's no way you can change it it's not <laughs> it's the name that makes or breaks the show it's just the show itself yeah yeah no that's it's true so i got <laughs> one more i got one more word that i think it, that people use a lot i just see on the web i think we yeah. should have this section every show words that jason doesn't like words <laughs> that jason hates <laughs> I, it's not that i hate i don't hate user journey i don't hate our journey or passionate i just i just find them overused and and over exaggerate uh, i don't know what the term i'm using people use it and it's just overstating it a little bit the other one is reaching out i'm gonna reach out to them you mean you're gonna send them an email <laughs> it just yeah. sounds like this overly uh sensitive way of communicating with somebody gonna i'm gonna reach, reach out. out yeah i just wonder don't reach out to me just send me an email you know what i mean <laughs> Just give me a call. You don't have to reach out to me. You know? That's interesting. You- so, Because all of the, a lot of this stuff is quite marketing. Like, marketing guys and gals like that, these kind of words. Yeah, they're all very, they're all very touchy-feely, kind of bullshitty words to me. That's why I don't like them. They're kind of bullshit. I don't like things that are false. And I feel like these things are all a little false because they're overstated and touchy-feely and kind of bullshitty. Okay, you don't like things that are false, but yet... If we talk about things like doing A-B conversions when just sort of moving things around the page to get better conversion rates, you think that's okay? What do you mean? I'm not, I don't quite follow you. Well, that, because that's... It's, like, it's like that's not exactly the natural order of things. Like you're specifically, uh, let's use the word, manipulating right. something to get more money. Right. And that, I mean, that's kind of false in a way it's false that you're yeah and i guess it's false that you're manipulating stuff to try and get people to give you more money but yet it's okay and under that scenario but it's not okay under the words that you use which is essentially the same thing by the way that's kind of interesting i I, that's fair enough i mean so (laughs) like well does it irritate me like here's a question does it irritate me if i go to a website and they've changed the user the site to to increase the chances that i'll be excited about signing up or that i want to sign up I don't know. I mean, make something more appealing. I mean, um, just if somebody combs their hair and brushes their teeth in the morning, you know, is it like the less? Is well, that's it false? false, isn't it? Yeah. When girls wear makeup, I mean, yeah, what, what could false? be more of a lie? I, I frankly, I'd prefer that people comb their hair and brush their teeth in the morning. You know, well, would you prefer I, if girls wear makeup or not? I think a little makeup works for me. You know, so I mean, so you it, like it, the it, lie? It depends on the girl. You know, you like that lie. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you wear makeup. Okay, that's that's my favorite. Okay, I, I I'll be honest with you. I did used to when I was like sixteen and I was a new romantic. I honestly did wear makeup. Yeah, <laughs> for like a year. Oh man! <laughs> when I was into Duran Duran. This is the worst episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> Planimals and and uh, makeup and bearing babies to turn them into plants. Jesus, well, we're gonna who, have to change the name of this. Who cares? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. You wore makeup, huh? Did you work it when you were touring in your band? No, no. I, I just, it was just when I was 16, I went through a new romantic phase back in the 80s. A euromantic? Is that what we call it? A new romantic. A new romantic. What does that even mean? Uh, you know, like Adam and the Ants, Duran uh, oh, <laughs> Duran, right. you know. Kind of like a clockwork orange look. 
Yeah, you know, they, I, I wasn't a... quite that bad. It was only a year. Can you forgive me? <laughs> <laughs> Do whatever you want. <laughs> it was like 25 years ago. I don't hold it against you if you wear makeup. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I like imagine seeing you wear makeup. I'd love to see a new photo of that. Oh, that would be God. Cool. Do you have any photos of yourself wearing I probably do. Makeup? I probably do. I'll, I'll have a was look. that a thing in your high school or something? No, it was just my group of pseudo-gay friends. <laughs> pseudo-gay? <laughs> was it like fake gay or something? I guess, just effeminate. Oh, okay, enough. It was like, it was like, quote, like the metrosexual or metrosexual. Yeah, or I think so. I don't know. I, you know, I'm, you know I'm what not, metrosexuals are? I, I'm getting embarrassed now. No, no, okay, no, but do you know what metrosexuals are? <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. It's like, right. I guess... It's, they're sort of like snags, sensitive new age guys. Yeah, it's like guys who like get like pedicures or manicures and, you know, they spend a little too much time worrying about, you know, what kind of fancy jeans they're wearing or, you know, how they could. How like they, David how Beckham. Kind of boots they have in their hair or whatever. I don't know. It's David Beckham, too, right? David Beckham. Ah, you know, I think it'd, it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to, to describe a professional athlete as a, as a metrosexual, probably metro. I don't know if it's metro or metro. I kind of hear both. Oh, well, I mean, in the UK, we think of David Beckham as the quintessential metrosexual because okay, he's, so maybe, maybe he's yes. always, you know, he's doing adverts for shampoo and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he is then. Maybe his, his, his athletic ability or athletic prowess doesn't. Do you, do oh, you have anything um, tech to talk about before we actually go down into uh, a crazy world? <laughs> we go down in flames? Yeah. yeah let's, uh, let, let's find one more thing. Let's see if we can build one more thing. Uh, oh, you know, I got one, one or two more quick things. One thing I saw, there was a blog post called Transparency is Bullshit. We don't want to see everything. Really? Wow. Oh, that's, I, feel, I feel hurt by that. I feel like that's aimed directly at me. <laughs> I think, yeah, they should. P.S. I'm looking at you, Tweet Miner. <laughs> <laughs> really? Guy, yeah. And, and what's their what's their point? Well, let's see. I'm gonna go to the. I'm gonna th- I mean, there was a couple things. Um, one, he's you know it. Um, gives a there's three I guess main points against it. The guy says is that it, it opens you up to liability. Um, you know that we live in an increasingly litigious society, and you know so. Well, that's that a quite a fear based response. Who cares? Yeah. That yeah. It's it's as it was, it's highly likely to be misunderstood and damage your brand. Um, like for instance, he says, what if your product has seventy percent pro- profit margins? You know that might not be something you might want to advertise because people might feel like they're getting gouged, right? Right. Um, and then the other obvious one is you you risk divulging trade secrets to watching competitors. Um, so you know that's something that you've always been a little concerned about, right? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, that was kind of interesting. So, I, we, of course, obviously, we, we've talked a lot about that. You've, you're definitely doing an experiment in sort of radical transparency. And the um, benefits of being open, I've, I've sort of, I guess on one note, I've stopped seeing. <laughs> like, I don't feel like lots of big benefits because before I was getting, you know, contacted by people who were interested in investing, et cetera, et cetera. But now yeah. there's nothing. Yeah, but you, no, there aren't you huge know, amounts of emails coming my way. Like, but now, like, but like four weeks later, I mean, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to make statement sweeping statements about what's working and not working with as little data as you have. I mean, yeah. when you look at, when you look at the data, we try to examine the data on what's working and what's not. And you've actually only been live a few months. I think it's just really difficult to, 
to make statements like that with any kind of confidence. So yeah, maybe over six or nine or 12 months, you might be able to have a little more data to make a statement about it. Okay. Think? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Wow. Just- I mean, I mean, I don't know what I personally, I don't know what I think about radical transparency and part of me is intrigued by it. Part of me is, you know, you're really interested to see how it works. It's definitely a bold thing to do, but I thought I had to bring that up because you had, um, yeah, no, thank you. That's, um, and um i don't know there's one i was going to talk to jison build parsers in javascript but i've just decided that sounds really boring because i don't really care about it okay you know well, <laughs> I'll, I'll done, do this. let's do this we've done a long i mean i think we've done a long enough show okay what do you think i think so well let's do this let's do this i got one it's called 10 rules for web startups this is a little old okay let's see if we find one or two right to argue about for a minute it will definitely argue. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah, tell yeah, me, okay. just just say something and I'll find a way to argue. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to bring up, let's find this here. Um, there's a quote, which I thought was interesting. Um, which, one second. It says, um, an expert is a person who has made all the mistakes that can be made in a very, in a very narrow field. That's Niels Bohr, who was a nuclear, uh, a physicist back in the... Uh, 40s and 30s. I like that. Yeah. An expert is a person who's made all the mistakes that can be made in a very narrow field. I like that. Yeah. I think I that's that was really valid, personally. Yeah. Well, because I was looking in this, this, this article, which is written by um, Evan Williams, uh, the guy who does Twitter. Yeah. Right? He says, the number one thing is be narrow. Focus on the smallest possible problem you could solve that would potentially be useful. You know, most companies start out trying to do too many things. So, yeah, so that way you can make it develop expertise. The more narrow you get, the more the, the easier it is you can become an expert because, obviously, the easier it is to just make all the mistakes, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you find the, the range of what's going to work in that, in that field. Be different. I think that's a good one. Me Too stuff doesn't tend to work so well. At least I, th- I don't think it works very well. Be picky. You like that one? Just going back to the be different, I mean... It's it's like, uh, you, you know, you've heard about red water and blue water. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so the the uh, um, it's called the blue water strategy. Yeah. Right. There was a book about that. I read that book. Yeah. Blue water meaning that if you're a red water meaning that you're going direct direct head to head with other customers and you're both just like dropping prices kind of and you get into price wars and things. And, like and it that. comes from like you know swimming with sharks and basically there being blood in the water. Right. And then blue water is just where there isn't any sharks and you're just going in a completely different tangent. And so you've got, you've got a scale between blue water and red water. And if you go right down the end of that scale to the blue water, well, you could just be heading off in a completely ridiculous tangent that no one cares about in any way whatsoever. So there's like, yeah, be different. But if you're so different that you're like Mork <laughs> from Mork and Minty, and right. you're just like nuts, you're not going to yeah. get very far, you know? So... Yeah. Yeah, well, if, there, if, if there's nobody doing it, there's a, there's always a really big risk that there's no market there. Yeah, exactly. That nobody cares. The reason there's no market there is because nobody cares about it. Yeah. That it's almost like you have to have you have to have some something of a of uh, movement in that direction by some companies, and you just have to kind of jump ahead and go, okay, we're gonna go further down the line, I guess. But it all depends. Yeah, you go too far down, and you're middle of nowhere. Nobody cares about it's just you. Just incremental. You have to educate. It's incremental. Like, I mean, Google's page rank algorithm was an incremental enhancement to search, and it yeah. worked really well for them. 
Yeah, you know? I think it is. I think it is. It's, it's all evolutionary, not really revolutionary. Yeah. Most things are. And um, if it's revolutionary, people just usually don't get it. I mean, people can't go that far. I mean, imagine if, if, if the music that we listen to today, you started playing it to the people in the 50s. They'd be like, what is that crap? Like, yeah. nobody would get it. It yeah. has to kind of, it's like you have to go through the path. I mean, you know, if somebody was on an island, you know, for the last 30 years and they came back, they would just, so many of the things that we like and listen to and think are funny or think, well, they might just, I don't get it. This is retarded. And, and in fact, that last example you gave is proven by Back to the Future 1, <laughs> where <laughs> Marty McFly plays uh, Heavy Van Halen and the, the audience just doesn't get it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, so, yeah, you'd be different, but not too different. You know, I think that should be the. What was the next one? Say it. Be casual. We're moving be into casual. the era of what I call the casual web. This is much bigger than the hobbyist web. Um, yeah. Casual, casual conversations. I don't know. I don't really. Be picky. Yeah. Yeah. As far as everything features, employees, posters. Okay, fine. Be user-centric. User experience is everything. It has always been. I think that's true. I think, um, I think the, the user experience, the user journey, the user interface is a huge deal. The user journey, did you say? I'm saying it for your benefit. Okay. <laughs> you, have, you, you have to have a user interface that, is, that demonstrates passion and reaches out to the users. Passion. Demonstrates passion. <laughs> Reaches out. You gotta reach out. <laughs> Be self-centered. Yeah, great products almost always come from someone scratching your own itch. Yeah. Create something you want to exist in the world. Well, that's, that goes for me and my secret project, right? <laughs> Problem is, is, is if you go to an extreme, then you're just scratching your own itch and to the extent that you don't care at all what anyone else thinks and you're just kind of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Prince, his music sometimes, they're t- I was like talking about because you keep making references to these old movies in the 80s. Right. Purple Rain, right? I remember he's talking about how I think his manager or something was complaining because he's making all this music that it's just nobody else cares about, nobody else gets. Yeah. You know, you just get so in your own little head about what you think is cool. So you got to be sort of tethered to the real world and what real problems are, not just a very specific problems. I was thinking about doing a new startup, a new thing. Another startup? Well, because th- there's something that I've been looking for and I can't find. And but basically, it? it's a system that's uh, dedicated exclusively to helping you decide, to helping you and your users decide what features to make next. So basically like a really intelligent, uber simple uh, feature ranking system. Mm-hmm. And I just can't, like, this, this is really just specifically aimed at people building software that makes it really fast for people to come along and put in their ideas and rate them and vote for them and and maybe use some other clever algorithms about about it. Right. And the closest is user voice, but I'm just even that is it just doesn't work for me. User voice and get satisfaction? Yeah. They don't work for me in terms of just the plain and simple way of people suggesting features and then voting for them and then having it like an ongoing scoreboard. You have another idea of how it should be done? I just think it should be just way, way more simple. It should be like abstracted from the whole support system and maybe have an API as well to just make it really easy for developers to kind of plug it, plug an API and they can do it within their own interface 
and just have the logic for it there and just that's interesting yeah that's plausible like and the community trackers and like that i don't know i don't know I didn't look at yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like when they were talking about like Stack Overflow, how that came into being. I mean, in one sense, in one hand, you had things like forums. Uh, and then you and had, expert like, exchange, yeah. Yeah, they, like, they saw and they said things didn't work. I mean, because you could come up, if, if they described the problem, they'd say, oh, that's just experts, expert exchange or experts exchange, right? Yeah, yeah. If they describe what they were going to do to somebody, they go, oh, you know, oh, you mean like, you know, support forum. Yeah, well, we're going to do support forum. It's like a wiki. It's like a lot of this stuff is like, they're all, it's all... It's all, they're all structured conversations. You're just structuring it in a different way. Like here are a different set of rules yeah. that help us achieve a result that you can't achieve when things are more unstructured. And I have some ideas for some things too. You know, here's, well, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but yeah. It, it's I, just incredibly frustrating not being able to completely focus on what features I should be building out next based off what the whole community thinks. And I know that user voice and and get satisfaction do offer those those functionalities, but it's it's kind of not so engaging for the for the people using the product. I just think it could be done a lot better. That's all. Yeah. Well, you know why not? I mean, you know, the thing is, building something like that doesn't sound very complicated. No. For one, and it's related to what you're also doing. Yeah. So I could see, and if you think it would help improve what it is that you're doing, then it might not. It might be worth doing at least a simple version, without getting too distracted. Yeah. But I mean, you already have two side projects in addition. To your yeah, no, I'll I'll leave it for a couple of months. But uh, it's something that's yeah, been it's, ticking it's around kind of in my head. You sit there in the back of your brain, yeah, kind of, yeah, you know, and you can kind of think about it, come up with different ideas, and then maybe find some time. You're like, okay, I got it, you know. Yeah. Okay, so n- number seven was on this. Uh, these rules was be greedy. You know, essentially, you know, try and start charging. You know, hmm. and um, start charging. It's one of the big things about it, which I, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, just don't ever, but this whole thing not charging and then just trying to raise a bunch of money because of a bunch of user growth, it just seems to me not a, not as um, pragmatic of a strategy of just coming up with something that people are going to right. pay for. Yeah. Be tiny, you know, lower cost, you know, keep your cost, which I think is, I think is right too. You keep, keep your, you, if you keep things small and you don't need a lot of resources, then you have a lot more options. Yeah. Can be, you can be, which number nine says is be agile, which is right. If you keep things cheap, then you can be agile. You know, yeah. if you have a lot of expense, you have a lot of overhead, a lot of people, it's very hard to change direction and stuff. Um, and uh, be balanced. We've talked a lot about that. You know, that hire generalists and stuff like that. And, well, you know, early on you you hire generalists, but when you do start hiring people, I guess you want, you know, right balance. You can't have all tech people or all business people or all design people. You need, you know. Yeah. Everything, right. And uh, be wary. Number eleven, the bonus one. Be wary. Overgeneralized lists of business rules are not to be taken too literally. There are exceptions to everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, they hold. I think the thing to say is like the the best development methodology of all is just use your brain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's right. Well, right, well, I think we're uh, probably well over time now, so call it. Yep. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. Yeah.